What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I hope everybody had a happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, a happy Kwanzaa, whatever you guys celebrated over the month of December. I hope you all enjoyed it, and I hope that you guys are gearing up for 2022 making those resolutions i know i have a couple resolutions myself my first new year's resolution is i want to stay as thick as possible it's taken me a long time to cultivate what i have on the backside, and i'm i'm not interested in losing it another thing is that i want to make sure that my fucking hair doesn't fall out which i think it might already be starting to fall out i'm not too sure could just be the way my hairline is shaped i have a fucking Straight up, I have a terrible hairline, but considering what the hair situation is like on both sides of my family, I should be blessed and consider myself lucky to have this this luscious mane that I have for myself. Um, of course, my hair falling out could always be expedited by the performance of my Brooklyn Nets towards the end of the season, but um, we're going to have to see. As I'm talking to you guys today, most of the team has in fact come out of the COVID protocols. I know that on Christmas, Brooklyn Nets were without a lot of people. Kevin Durant wasn't playing. I don't remember if Bruce Brown was playing as well, but I think he was. Regardless, they played the Los Angeles Clippers on Monday night and pretty much the whole squad was there. Then I woke up Tuesday morning and we get the notifications that KD, Kyrie, and Shams are KD, Kyrie, Shams, Kyrie, KD, already doing this KD Kyrie and LaMarcus Aldridge have cleared COVID protocols so that's kind of exciting almost as exciting as watching James Harden drop 39 and 15 on the Clippers which I did not do because I'm a little baby and typically I'm in bed by 11 o'clock during the week which means that pretty much any games on the west coast I'm not able to watch but Christmas day Christmas Day, Christmas Day, lots of fun, whole family got sick, that was awesome, um, no COVID, fortunately, I think we all just had a little bit of a stomach issue, I know that I was feeling a little under the weather, uh, both my sisters were feeling a little under the weather as well, and my girlfriend caught a little something something also, I don't think, I, I don't think it was anything too serious, I think just like the sheer amount of shitty food, fried food, the oily food, like, the Italian Christmas Eve is certainly not for someone with a weak stomach or somebody with IBS. And boy, Italian Christmas Italian Christmas Eve took out four of us, five of us, even if you want to throw my mom in there as well. But Christmas, Christmas Day being a little under the weather, being able to just stay home and relax, put me in a great position to watch pretty much all of the basketball games that were on. Of course, with the exception of, I think it was Utah and Dallas, which was the nightcap. I caught a decent amount of the noon game, Hawks, Knicks. Uh, not really too much to say about that. I mean, even though I caught a decent amount of it, that's not to say that I was actively enjoying myself because, again, the Hawks had like 9, 10, or 11 players in COVID protocol or something. We, followed, we of course, followed that up with Sixers, not Sixers, uh, Bucks, Celtics, which was a fantastic game. A very, very, very captivating performance from both teams for the entire time. Even going, you know, going down to the wire with Giannis getting a block on Robert Williams to steal it. And then after that, uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, after that, it was Warriors Suns. Now, Warriors Suns, I was kind of catching on and off because I actually snuck away at some point to just like lay down for a little bit. And uh, hop on, hop on the Xbox, and just kind of get away from basketball for a bit, because I didn't want to get all tired out before the Nets and the Lakers played. And of course, the Nets and the Lakers play, and you know it it was a basketball game. I'll say that much. It was certainly a basketball game. It was a little difficult to watch in the beginning because the officials were calling it very, very, very tightly. Like there was a lot of physicality going on, and I think that the referees, knowing that it's Christmas Day knowing that it's the primetime slot. They didn't want anyone to get a little, they didn't want anyone to get too rambunctious, you know, like over the top type rambunctious. I mean, that's even talk about Carmelo Anthony, who at one point in the game shoved Nick Claxton for essentially no reason. But the Nets barely skated by, got the W. They blew a 23-point lead heading into the fourth quarter, a lot of which was the result of James Harden just kind of really 
falling apart. And I can't really say that I, I mean, I was a little shocked, but then again, when you consider the fact that the Nets really had nobody to help him outside of Patty Mills, and thank God for Patty Mills, who finished with, I think, 35, hit eight threes, set a new record for threes made on Christmas Day. Just an absolutely remarkable performance from the Australian. It, If it wasn't for him, James Harden would have looked like a damn fool because I think Harden also had like 32. He had a 32-point triple-double, if I remember correctly. And man, towards the end of the game, this guy just could not buy a fucking bucket. It was horrible. And the Lakers knew that. The Lakers knew that they could get away with pretty much just sending whoever they wanted towards James Harden because there really was no help outside of Patty Mills. I mean, Javon Carter wasn't doing anything. Um, DeAndre Bembry hit a couple shots. But still, like no one like Kevin Durant or even like Kyrie Irving was there to assist James Harden. But fortunately, the Nets got the W. I mean, a win is a win. And the Lakers, the Lakers have been kakapupu this year, 100%. I don't think anyone is going to debate that. And before I get into the the issues with the Lakers that some people might have, or not some people, but there are issues that the Lakers are having, there was this really, really, really fascinating moment on Christmas Eve. Now, as we know, LeBron is... Uh, quite the popular athlete. And when he posts things on social media, people, they tend to get a lot of traction. Now, I'm not one to be like, okay, you know, athletes are role models. I don't, I don't really ascribe to that. I do think that if you're a parent, you should be, you should make it, I mean, it is your job to be the role model for your children. I mean, it's cool that Children can have athletes and, you know, entertainers, musicians to look up to, but that doesn't substitute for the parents. However, I do believe that athletes and, you know, really people who are prominent in society, prominent in culture, they have an obligation to not put out information that is potentially damaging, misinformation, um, st- like jokes that are borderline. And the only reason I'm getting like this, like... This is it. It's about COVID, right? It's not like LeBron is just posting a tasteless joke, which I mean, if listen, you can post tasteless jokes, that's totally fine. But he had this really weird instance on Christmas Eve. I don't even know if it's still up. Let's Instagram. So he posted the Spider Man pointing meme, and this what this iteration of it had. Oh, it's still up. Perfect. This iteration of the Spider Man pointing meme had three. Spider-Man pointing at each other labeled COVID, cold, and the flu. Now, if you guys are chronically online like myself, you know that when people use this meme, it's to indicate that these things are the same, right? Whatever context it is, it's to illustrate that these things are the same. So I looked at this and I'm like, LeBron's conservative grifter arc is beginning, I guess, because this is just like a really out-of-pocket thing to post comparing COVID to the common cold and the flu when that is simply not the case. COVID is clearly more exponentially damaging than both of these sicknesses combined. And LeBron, who's got 106 million followers on Instagram, a lot of which are younger children, impressionable minds, this, that, whatever, you should know better. You should not be posting this knowing that COVID is more deadly than the flu, than the common cold. I mean, it's killed 800,000 people in America alone. Like, that right away basically destroys any comparison that you're trying to make. And this was just super weird to see. Typically, um, I even showed this to my girlfriend, and she's like, oh, I don't think that's what he meant at all. Like, I, she looked at it, and she's like, oh, I thought he was just, like, comparing how, you know, no one knows which is which, like, they're all the same symptomatically. I'm like, okay, it's very courteous of you to give LeBron the benefit of the doubt. And perhaps I also myself would have given him the benefit of the doubt if he hadn't tweeted out a couple weeks ago that there was something fishy going on. You know, when he tweeted the fucking five fish emojis, like, oh, something's going, something's really fishy with this vaccine stuff or this COVID stuff, like this new strain, whatever. I'm like, dude, like, you have to be better. Like, straight up, straight up. And 
this isn't like I I sincerely hope that this doesn't come across as like me hating on LeBron. Like I've never really ever been critical of LeBron. Really, just some just unbased criticism. Like I've had my gripes with him on the floor. You know the way that um <laughs> the way that certain teams operate when he is the centerpiece, like the Cavaliers in particular, how they pretty much got away from all of the things that made them successful. And even then, I wasn't too critical of LeBron because he's not going out and he's not building these teams. Like this Lakers team is a prime example. LeBron is averaging 27, seven and seven, or like 27, six and a half and six and a half or something. And the Lakers are two games under 500 on a five game losing streak. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, a little bit, but I want to uh, just quickly uh quickly tie a bow on this like i remember a couple years ago i think it was there was this i think it was an uninterrupted an uninterrupted skit with lebron and kevin durant talking about um just social issues you know being a prominent black man in america and the hogs over at fox news were like oh you're not allowed to have a political opinion because you're an athlete you know better like the whole shut up and dribble thing i was hypercritical of that treatment because i don't believe that to be true especially at a time when the president of the united states as america was a fucking celebrity was the host of the apprentice like the the argument does not the argument it i can't comprehend it of course ultimately i do think that it was a racial issue as it usually tends to be but just in regards to this post like dog this is very similar to like the whole Kyrie Irving fiasco where you do a lot of great things in your community I mean this guy LeBron built a fucking school in his hometown to provide an opportunity to underprivileged kids for them to bring themselves up out of the conditions that they were born into that they just simply got unlucky and here's this guy gracious enough to do that gracious enough to give scholarship money so that students can go to the university of akron being really just like you know old, a stand-up citizen clean record as far as his off the court life goes i mean even him being able to do all of that off the court like stay out of trouble never you know say anything out of pocket really be on the good side for almost everything and while of course experiencing all of this success on basketball court you know four-time finals mvp four-time world champion four-time uh, what is it four-time regular season mvp he's like i would imagine that at some point lebron is going to have more all-star appearances than anybody else if he doesn't already same thing with the all nba appearances of course a couple gold medals i mean he'll probably retire as the greatest scorer at least statistically that the nba has ever seen it's just why are you gonna do this to yourself like and I don't know if it's him just being misinformed because that happens that happens tremendously. I mean, LeBron, of course, he's a basketball player first and foremost. So he might not have the time to dedicate to study all of these other things that other folks do have. It's like he's focused on basketball. He's focused on winning a championship. But it's just, it doesn't sit right with me. And I'm sure that it was just a mistake. And, you know... Maybe I will give LeBron the benefit of the doubt that the way I'm interpreting it is not how he meant it. But, you know, it did really make the rounds. I don't know if it was covered by any conservative media outlets, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote about it. Now, as we know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the greatest NBA players of all time, someone who was routinely left out of that discussion alongside with Mike, Michael and LeBron and Kobe. Like, Kareem deserves to be up there. But he wrote about it. Kareem is a substack Andy. And he goes, quote, LeBron James is not only one of the greatest basketball players ever, he's committed to being a leader in the African-American community in the fight against inequality. But this Thursday Instagram meme showing three cartoon Spider-Man pointing at each other, one labeled COVID with his message, help me out, folks, was a blow to his worthy legacy. Now, I'm not going to go that far because I don't think it's a blow to his legacy. I think it was just a mistake. Like, this isn't like this isn't a Henry Ruggs incident where he is driving drunk in Las Vegas, going 155 miles an hour, slams into somebody and kills her. Like this is not that. This is just LeBron posting a meme on the internet. With, he's shit posting basically. He's he's shit posting. 
<laughs> and he's an older guy. He, I don't know if he like actually comprehends how memes work. You know, certain people, once you get above a certain age, you just like don't understand meme culture and shit like that. I think that that ultimately might have been the root. But um, again, I can't speak to Kareem, but I do think that Kareem is also over-dramatizing a little bit. Uh, I know that, you know, Kareem, of course, being a black person, that issue definitely hits him harder, especially because throughout history, black people have routinely um, been given reasons to be kind of skeptical of the whole healthcare industry. And of course, the rampant inequality, the systemic inequalities that are perpetuated in other areas of life. I think that, you know, Kareem looking at LeBron, seeing someone who is kind of like himself, like a Muhammad Ali, a very progressive, forward-thinking person in terms of social justice, I think it hurts a little bit more seeing him post that than it would somebody else. But I do know that as a Lakers fan, I'm not a Lakers fan, but if you are a Lakers fan, what probably hurts more than that is the fact that the Lakers are poopoo water. They are dookie, just like straight up diarrhea. They are an abomination, I would say. Playing in the crypto.com arena, the <laughs> I can't even I can't believe I'm fucking saying that, dude. I can't believe it. So the Lakers, as it stands today, are 16 and 18. They've lost five in a row. They of course are without Anthony Davis. They are without a shitload of people, actually. Like they have one, two, uh, three, four. Four players, in, yeah, four players in COVID protocol. Uh, LeBron is dealing with a bit of an abdominal issue. And then, of course, as we know, Anthony Davis is going to be out for about a month with a knee injury. And shit is just hitting the fan for the Lakers, right? They've dropped five straight. Uh, a lot of them have been, three of them have been by close to 20 points. Oh, my God. 28. They lost by 28 to the Spurs. Oh, my God. That's so embarrassing. 18 to the Suns. And then 18 to Minnesota. And then they were on track to get fucking ass blasted by Brooklyn. And then and then we know how that went. Uh, I feel like really, I feel like I have to talk about the Lakers because I saw this tweet on my timeline yesterday. And it was a compilation. It was basically a blooper reel of Russell Westbrook. You know, him losing the ball in transition Shots that air ball, shots that brick, shots that hit the side of the backboard. And it was captioned something like, oh, you know, the West, the Russell Westbrook clown show highlight reel 2020, whatever the fuck this year is, 2021, 2022. And I'm like, why, like, what's the reason to clown on Russell Westbrook? I don't under, I don't understand because the Lakers issues are, are more there, oh God, how am I going to say this? The Lakers issues extend well beyond Russell Westbrook. Because if you guys remember, the Lakers have been pretty shitty all season long. I'm looking at their basketball reference page. They started the season off losing three of their first five games. They then went on a little bit of a run. But following that, they've been marred by inconsistency. They have been, you know, one of the more forgettable teams in the Western Conference because they're not great. They're not great like the Warriors are great. They're not great like the Suns are great, but they're not bad either. They're not bad like the Rockets are bad. And even the Rockets have seen a little bit of success recently. Like the Rockets are up to double-digit wins. That's pretty that's pretty impressive, man. I I got to give the Rockets a little bit of credit. Like they're poopy, but they're not like super soft stinky duty like lactose intolerance duty but the lakers i i i think i've said this every year every week since the season started and since the trade happened the lakers shot themselves in the foot trading for russell westbrook and it's not because that russ is a bad player because statistically this season russ is having a very respectable season he's at like what is it 19 points um like seven rebounds Close to eight assists. What are the exact numbers? So he's at 19 and a half points, about eight rebounds and eight assists, shooting 45% from the field. Although he is shooting 30% from three, he's taking fewer than four threes a night. This is good play from Russell Westbrook. Nobody is upset at this. The issue, and the issue that I take with this, is that the Lakers put Russell Westbrook in this position 
because he didn't demand a trade to the Lakers. He was content in Washington. He's like, as I said like two weeks ago, hey, if you guys want to trade me and the Lakers call, I don't mind going there, but I'm not going to force my way to the, to the Lakers. But the Lakers, being the dumb shit franchise that they are with the dog shit leadership they have in the front office, they're going to take the pieces that helped them win a title two years ago and that would have helped them make a deep run in the playoffs last season had Anthony Davis been healthy. And they're like, we're going to mortgage our depth for a third star that we don't need, right? You have LeBron and Anthony Davis, okay? You have two superstars, two MVP candidates. The way that super teams work in the NBA is that you can either have two superstars like Anthony Davis and LeBron James or one superstar and two ancillary stars. We saw this at the beginning of the Warriors dynasty. We had Steph Curry, who was a full-blown icon, followed by Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. Of course, things changed a little bit once Kevin Durant got involved. And of course, we had never seen anything like that before in the NBA. But generally, that's how it goes. A team like Philadelphia, for example, had Ben Simmons still been playing, they would have been in the market for a third star because they have a superstar in Joel Embiid. But Ben Simmons is not a superstar. He's an all-star Definitely, but they would have needed somebody else. Like, this is how it works. I mean, look at the Miami Heat. I don't even know the Heat's record off the top of my head, but on paper, you have Jimmy Butler, who is, you know, he teeters on superstardom. I'm not going to disrespect him and say that he's not a great player. But the Miami Heat noticed, it's like, hey, we got Bam. He's a rising star. Let's go out and get another proven guy. And that was Kyle Lowry. The Lakers, having the two superstars, they needed depth more than anything else. I mean, we see this as an issue with the Brooklyn Nets, right? They had, well, they have three superstars somehow, but in order to get that, they had to mortgage a lot of their depth, right? Trading away Jared Allen, Karis Levert, um, also eventually doing the sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell to allow them to bring in the two superstars and who was Kevin Durant. And Kyrie Irving. Now, I mean, it is a little bit of an of an anomaly what Brooklyn has been able to do, but of course, these situations require context. The Lakers, in short, went out and made it and made a trade they didn't have to make. They did not need Russell Westbrook. They could have kept KCP. They, I think, they should have kept KCP, Trez, and Kyle Kuzma, especially KCP and Trez, because those guys were instrumental in helping the Lakers be one of the deeper teams in the NBA. So now they are they pretty much mortgaged their depth and they got fucked over in free agency by going to sign a bunch of guys who simply are not they're not going to produce enough. They're not going to produce enough to offset the drop in production. I mean Malik Monk, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, Kent Bazemore, Rajon Rondo. Uh, they recently added Darren Collison into the mix because of COVID. Same thing with Isaiah Thomas. I, I really hope that Isaiah Thomas brings something to this team just because I love Isaiah Thomas and I'm happy to see him back in the league. But Wayne Ellington, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, um, Stanley Johnson actually played very well on Christmas Day, especially defending James Harden. I don't have these statistics off the top of my head. I don't have the matchup info, but just based on just based on like the anecdotes and watching Stanley Johnson defend Le uh, LeBron James, defend James Harden, I think that Stanley Johnson is going to be a key piece for this team. But then again, like that's on the defensive end. And I, I mean, the Lakers have problems on, they, the Lakers have problems everywhere. But do you see the issue and how the issue is compounded not by Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook is putting up third star numbers. If you can get 28 and eight from your third star, you're you're set. You are a ch you should be at least a championship contender, especially when he's a he's an infamously poor shooter, an infamously poor volume shooter, and he's shooting forty five percent. The issue is not Russell Westbrook, right? Granted, now I'm not going to say that Russ is completely absolved himself from the blame because he's to blame, like LeBron's to blame. Ultimately, they're executing, and there are times when you know they just don't execute, and unfortunately. When you're in a position like this, you have to play perfectly. But Russell Westbrook is not someone who's known for his perfect play. He plays hard. He plays fast. He plays aggressively. He plays to win. He plays with a lot of energy. But he's not the 
he's not a game manager. He's not a game manager. And listen, the blame to me, I'm putting more blame on Anthony Davis than anybody else. I ranted about this two weeks ago, and I will continue to rant about it. I will continue to rant about it. This is an Anthony Davis problem because Anthony Davis, even though he's out with an injury, you're telling me that you're only going to average 23 points a game this year? You're going to make LeBron lead the team in scoring throughout the regular season and then into the playoffs as well? He's thirty. He's going to be 37 years old, right? He's going to be 37 or he turned 37? He's going to be 37 or 38? What the fuck? No. Oh my God, he's really going to be 38. That's crazy. Oh no, he's going to be 37. I'm sorry. The age got rounded up on his uh on his basketball reference page. He's going to be 37 in two days. And you're going to make him lead the team in scoring when we know for a fact that you are at this stage a better option on offense. That's it's completely unacceptable. And you can criticize Frank Vogel for failing to get Anthony Davis involved, this that whatever, but if you have a star player who isn't being utilized properly, some of that falls on the coach. But like Anthony Davis is still getting 18 shots a night. Like it's not like he's only getting 12 or 13. And then the coach has to step in and be like, hey, feed this guy. Anthony Davis should be the one who's calling for the ball on the block. Who's, you know, trying to figure out something so that way the team doesn't, you know, barely tread water. Like he has to be more aggressive. When he comes back, he's needed to be more aggressive. He's needed to be more aggressive. And unfortunately, I just don't know if this is going to be, I don't know if this is an issue that they can rectify. Unless, of course, they were to trade Russell Westbrook for a whole bunch of role players. But now you run into the issue where you trade Russ, who is producing for you, who is, you know, albeit he's been reliable this year. You trade him. And then what if Anthony Davis doesn't go back to the level that we know he's capable of playing at? You're effectively fucked if you're the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I, I really don't know. Like, I hate when people, when sports commentators talk in vague terms like, oh, Anthony Davis just needs to play harder, right? Granted, I don't know if, like, I don't know, but I don't know if it's effort, though. I don't think it's effort. I think it's like a mental shift. I think it's a mental shift. It could be caused by playing with LeBron. I don't know if like the locker room is extra tense or anything, but Anthony Davis needs to come back and he needs to be like, I'm the best player on the planet. I'm better than Kevin Durant. I'm better than Steph Curry. I'm better than Joel Embiid. Because, listen, man, when Anthony Davis is on, like, we're looking at a top five guy in the league. We're looking at an MVP caliber player, right? This isn't foreign territory. For Anthony Davis like he had no problems putting up incredible numbers this dude was averaging like 28 and 12 with the New Orleans Pelicans like he's not new like this isn't a new frontier for him it's not like he's a young player who's just coming into the league to be the face of the, the face of the franchise who's got a, who has to learn how to be a number one option on an NBA team he's been there he's been there and the Lakers brought him in with that intention I think they got they got to figure this out man they really do like because i don't think lebron's missed the playoffs oh no he missed 2 years ago right the year that he suffered that groin injury was like the first year that he had ever missed the postseason outside of his rookie year trying to uh right uh yeah the 2018-19 season was the first playoffs was the first year he'd missed the playoffs since his rookie season. Like, and now you're looking at potentially it happening again. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, all I know is I don't envy Lakers fans, right? I know that basketball in Los Angeles is pretty caca right now. Um, of course, injuries pretty much taking out three of the four stars or three of the five stars in the city with Kawhi, EG, Anthony Davis. Uh, it's tough, man. It's tough out there. It's tough out there for a pimp, for sure. Um. Oh, there was a little. There were. Oh God, I didn't. Act, oh. There's apparently like I don't want to say there's beef, but Carl Anthony Towns, Russell Westbrook, 
And <laughs> what the fuck? Chloe somewhere punching the air. Jordan Woods lavish gifts from boyfriend Carl Anthony Towns has fans celebrating her relate. That's like catching strays, man. That's crazy. That's funny though. <laughs> Chloe's out punching air after Tristan cheated on her for the 37th time. So the other night, Carl, An- Car- Coral. Carl Anthony Towns was, I think, addressing the media and he was talking about Russell Westbrook and he was talking about how Russ is a stat patter, more or less, which is a take that a lot of people in the NBA media sphere, the NBA media cinematic universe, have held for a long time. Especially because, you know, when he was in Oklahoma City, like there was really nothing else he could do aside from accumulate stats. But sorry. Like they weren't they weren't contending for anything back there. So Towns goes and says Quote, he definitely gets his stats. He chases stats, but I think he's a hell of a player, though. I don't care what anyone says. You know how hard it is to get a triple-double? You know how hard it is? And he plays hella hard. I just think that sometimes he plays too quick. He tries to do too much. Like, people, again, in the NBA media cinematic universe, they say the same thing, except they don't follow it up with, oh, yeah, Russ is a hell of a player. Like, they're just like, oh, yeah, he gets stats, and that's it, and I hate him, and he looks like a Ninja Turtle. Like that's the extent of the Russell, the Russell, Russ, the Russell Westbrook discourse. But I do think that you know, Carl Anthony Towns, he's not wrong. I mean, Russ averaged a fucking triple double for like three years in a row. He definitely gets his stats, that's for sure. But again, all of these situations require context. Like, for how many years after Kevin Durant left was Russell Westbrook like the go-to guy on his team? He was in Oklahoma City afterward. There was uh, that whole little time he spent in Houston where maybe he wasn't the go-to guy, but he was still getting a lot of reps. I mean, he did average like 25 a night with the with the uh, Rockets. I think he was only there for like two years or something. Whatever. And then he goes to the Wizards, and, you know, fortunately he got to play alongside Bradley Beal, but he's still the point guard on that team, on that Wizards team. Um, what I didn't know about this is that <laughs> Draymond Green – Chimed in. Towns obviously attempts to walk back his words slightly in the interview by praising Westbrook, but one of his more notable fellow players didn't think he did a good enough a good enough job of it. This is so fucking stupid. Attempts to walk back his words slightly. Slightly, he literally said that he plays hard and that he's a hell of a player. He's not like that's that's fucking stupid. This is the media being stupid. God dumb fucking shit and then Draymond Green chimes in and says I once watched from the bench due to us beating the T-Wolves ass and he was in the game down 20 with two minutes to go come on man stop talking to people about the bros and yelling this is a brotherhood shake my head what the fuck I did see this Westbrook quote and I thought this Westbrook quote was fucking awesome Westbrook was asked Monday about balancing expectations from his teammates his coaching staff and fans and giving a very illuminating answer the full 90 second response which we're not going to watch in which Westbrook says that, quote, he's over the whole situation of what everyone else wants me to do, gives interesting insight into his approach, but one snippet is particularly revealing. Quote, I think people are expecting me to have fucking 25, 15, and 15, which that's not normal. <laughs> everyone has to understand that's not a normal thing that people do consistently. <laughs> I know I've done <laughs> I know I've done it for the past five years or so or whatever it may be, but that's not a normal thing. I like how Russ is basically like, yeah, I'm built different, and not everyone is built like me. That's awesome. <laughs> I fucking, I love that. I love, like, the little, dude, I absolutely fucking adore the pettiness that NBA players express. It really is, like, it really does surprise me that the NBA isn't the most prominent sport in America because so many Americans are petty, man. And then I felt like they don't, have pettiness like no one's fucking petty in the NFL or I don't I don't know maybe I just don't follow follow it closely enough but dude the NBA is like in terms of drama it is a literal soap opera it is a literal soap opera so since we haven't talked about Ben Simmons in a while and when I say a while I mean essentially like two weeks or so because I think that's um I think that's been about how long it's been there is a report where the Cavaliers are deemed a team to watch in a potential 
76ers Cavaliers trade. So I don't know. Uh, okay, well, listen. I know that in the past, I've said, if these reports don't come from Woj, don't come from Shams, don't come from Chris Haynes, don't come from anybody reputable, I don't believe it. And I click on this article, and of course, it's from CBS Sports. So I'm thinking, you know, it might be a little BS. It might be a little, you know, clickbaity to try to get some clicks. Well, it got my click. And it says that one of the teams to keep an eye on is Cleveland, obviously. But the report is courtesy of Woj. And now Woj was on TV talking about this. And he says, quote, Ben Simmons in Philly. I think you'll start to see the 76ers re-engage. Certainly, he's no closer to agreeing to come back to play for the Sixers, and I don't, and they don't have any real traction on his trade yet. But here's an interesting team to watch: the Cleveland Cavaliers, who before they went on this inc- really incredible start to the season, had been engaged with Philly on Ben Simmons. They've got some really intriguing assets, either in a straight-up deal or perhaps a three- or four-team deal. It was reported earlier J.B. Bickerstaff agreed to a new extension through, <gasps> pardon me, through 2026-27. This is a team in Cleveland. That's just a game out of third place in the Eastern Conference. Philly's team right now in that bunched up East who could be out of the play and with a couple of losses the way it's so bunched up. So expect Philly to start talking more with more teams. Uh, ben Simmons is only 25. Yada, yada, he fits well. This is probably the most substantive Ben Simmons trade rumor that we've had to date. Philly is... What's Philly? Where is Philly? Where is Philly in the... Uh, so as it stands, Philadelphia is 17 and 16. They're sixth in the East, but they're only two games ahead of Boston in the loss column, who is the ninth best team in the conference. Cleveland somehow is seven games over 500. They've been without Evan Mobley, who was in the COVID protocol. They're all, I mean, Colin Sexton's not playing. He's done for the year with that uh, meniscus injury, I think it was. That was uh, I don't remember the injury exactly, but I do remember it being a knee injury. Cleveland can make a deal. Could be straight up. Could be a three-teamer, as Woj already mentioned, because, because, I don't know why my voice just cracked. That's embarrassing. <laughs> because another team who was looking to offload some assets, Indiana. I don't know it, how this would work, but could Philadelphia? Could Philadelphia? I, I mean, Philly could definitely swing for someone from the um, the Pacers. Holy shit, I totally just blacked out. Maybe Karis LeVert. Give them another ball handler on the wing. Give them another perimeter scorer, potentially. I mean, Cleveland could also very well bring in Karis LeVert. I don't know how likely that is. I don't think they would want to bring in either Sabonis or Turner because, I mean, they already run a two-center lineup. They have Lowry Markinen on the team as well. I don't know unless they would try to run, like, five centers and just do, like, a five-out set with just centers. It's possible, though. I'm not going to say... Actually, no. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, no, that is actually not going to happen. I really... uh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Maybe that fourth team turns out to be the Brooklyn Nets. I've talked about it before. I was very intrigued by the idea of Karras coming back to the Nets. Also very intrigued with, you know, Brooklyn potentially grabbing DeMontis Sabonis or Miles Turner. Miles Turner more so. I feel he is, he definitely fills their holes better than anybody else. But listen, Woj said it. I'm not saying it's gospel. But I am saying that now I think we're going to start to see a lot of traction on the Ben Simmons front, right? Officially, the unofficial start of trade season. Woj is reporting some shit. We know that really Ben has no interest in going back to Philadelphia. And we know that Philly is going to want to recoup the talent that they're losing in Ben Simmons. And... Indiana's got a lot of talent. Uh, Cleveland has a lot of talent as well. I mean, listen, now we might actually have some reasons to talk about Ben Simmons in talk about Ben Simmons 
Trade rumors. Oh, God. I refuse to believe that this is a real article. Why it's time for the Lakers to explore a Russell Westbrook for John Wall trade. This is courtesy of, I don't know if, maybe if, I don't know. I'm not going to mention who the author is. Um, I mean, you guys can find it. If you go out and you find it yourself, that's on you. That's not on me. I don't even know if, like, this might be a reaction type YouTube video. Um, I don't know. We're just going to, nearly half the season has passed and the Lakers aren't getting better. You've probably seen the clip by now. The Los Angeles Lakers, after trailing by as many as 23 points in their Christmas showdown with the depleted Nets, had managed to cut the deficit to only two with just two minutes remaining. They'd held Brooklyn to 10 points in the fourth quarter, but on the most important possession of the game to that point, Russell Westbrook completely lost track of Patty Mills, one of the NBA's most dangerous shooters, midway through a 34-point explosion. What's he talking about here? Yeah, Patty Mills, listen, I'm going to, hold on. It's a pretty fitting encapsulation of Westbrook's first 36 games as a Laker. The breakdown wasn't entirely his fault. Malik Monk, Malik Monk botches the initial switch. The game doesn't end on that possession either. The Lakers would go on to tie at 115. But ultimately, what we have here is one of the most important plays of the game going against Westbrook's team, at least in part because of a mistake Westbrook makes fairly frequently. The best explanation for this defensive lapse was that he was playing the short roll pass to Bruce Brown. The Lakers had three other bodies in the paint. A fourth was overkill if the price was a wide open mills, especially since Westbrook wasn't particularly well angled for a steal or a strip. He's freelancing, gave Brooklyn its ideal shot. It was at best a low risk, high reward decision. Now, one of the issues that arises with this is I just want to wait for the for the GIF to reset. So the possession begins and Malik Monk is guarding Patty Mills. Right? I don't know if the Lakers are switching everything at this point. This straight up well, this is straight up a miscommunication because Patty Mills comes up from the left wing. Or I'm he comes up from the corner. And there is a little bit of okay, so the Lakers at this point are switching because they switched the screen. Stanley Johnson and Russell Westbrook switched on the screen. This straight up just looks like a miscommunication. Now, generally, what happens here? When you're playing the pick and roll. And your man is going up to set the screen. You're the one communicating to your teammate that there is a screen coming. Because your man, like your teammate doesn't know that he's about to be screened. Stanley Johnson doesn't know he's about to be screened. So Westbrook yells screen left, left, switch, 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 whatever. And then Patty Mills sets the screen. And Westbrook points, indicating the switch. Did I just fuck myself here? I think I might have. So Westbrook... Okay, whatever. <laughs> That's so awesome. Let's see. Can ah, oh, you motherfucker. I hate gifts, man. Let's try this again. You guys are going through this in real time. You guys are watching me stand Russell Westbrook. Okay. So the switch happens, yada yada. What this is this is a weird ass possession, man. You know what? I'm not even going to proceed. I'm not even going to proceed with this article. Not because I got proven wrong, right? Never wrong. Never wrong. Never. Never been proved wrong about anything. But because I think that the whole thesis of this video or of this argument is bullshit. Because why would the Lakers trade Russell Westbrook for John Wall? When John Wall and Russell Westbrook are essentially the same player, right? I got to look and see where John Wall is mentioned in this article. John Wall is only mentioned twice in this article. John Wall's contract is identical to Westbrook's. He holds no on-court value to the Houston Rockets as their youth movement has kept him off the floor entirely. He's represented by, which, by Rich Paul, the leader of Clutch Sports that also serves as the agent. Well... Might some sort of Westbrook for Wall be worthwhile to the Lakers? Well, the immediately answer is probably not. Wall co comes with many of the same limitations as Westbrook. He's never been a particularly strong shooter, yada, yada. 
but Wall has at least been an effective defender in the past. But this is, you're talking about pre-injury, John Wall, right? I don't think that anyone is expecting him to return and be the same level defender that he was previously. I mean, he could. He could 100% do it because I can't say he can't because fucking Kevin Durant did it. He comes back from an Achilles injury and is the best defender on the Nets. I don't foresee that happening, though, because I think some of which has helped Kevin Durant is that he's a great defender based on physical or based on his physical attributes. He's long. He's lanky. He can cover a lot of ground. So that way it's tough to beat him on the dribble. Of course, also length and in an off or in a defense like the Brooklyn Nets where they are switching a lot, even when they shouldn't be. And you're getting switched onto smaller guys. You being seven feet tall with the seven four wingspan or whatever it is, is automatically going to make their life significantly harder. With John Wall, he is an effective defender for his position because he, much like Kevin Durant, has a size advantage over a lot of guys. But he's got a size advantage over guards, not wings, not guys playing stretch four, stretch five. Where John Wall also became a great defender was his athleticism. He's so fast. He's so strong. He's an excellent leaper. Of course, coupled with other things, his effort, his anticipation, his hands. It's not the point being is that every time I've watched John Wall, a lot of his game is reliant on his athleticism, which isn't a bad thing, not by any means. And of course, that's not to take away and say that he's unskilled because you don't make it to the NBA. You don't make it to the point where we're talking about John Wall. And let's not forget that we were talking about John Wall as potentially the best point guard in the NBA at a point. That was a very real conversation. You don't get to that point by not being skilled. But the athleticism helped him tremendously on both ends of the floor. And generally, when guys are coming back from Achilles injuries, if they are the more explosive type, they might have a harder time adapting because of, I don't know how, like, again, I don't know the fucking physiology of how it works, but bigger guys, more explosive guys do generally tend to lose a step when they come back from their serious injuries, whether it be an Achilles, a knee injury, like an ACL, but mostly the Achilles because like... It is a fucking, I'm talking out of my ass here. I don't, again, I don't know the physiology of it. I just know that we don't know what John Wall looks like, right? If you're going to try to make a trade for someone who can help the Lakers and you're going to throw the clutch narrative in because that's a fucking, because that's an awesome narrative that people love to perpetuate for some reason. Wouldn't you want to talk about, I don't know, Ben Simmons, someone who could actually help the Lakers on the defensive end because guess what guys the Lakers are a poor defensive team and it's not just because Russell Westbrook had one lapse late in the game against the Brooklyn Nets and I know that that's not the only defensive lapse he's had all season but they are 27th in points per game allowed in terms of efficiency I mean they're good they're 11th they're the 11th most efficient defense in the NBA but that's kind of misleading because they're first in pace. They're giving up fewer points on a per possession a per possession basis because they get more possessions than everybody else. For comparison, let's go to the Warriors. The Warriors are first in they're the best defense in the league, right? All around. They're first in opponents' points per game allowed, and they're the most efficient defense despite being the 14th fastest team, it's because they actually get stops on defense. The Lakers do not. And it's not just Russell Westbrook who's who's responsible. It's that this team traded all of their all of their defenders for Russell Westbrook. They traded KCP. They traded um Montrez Harrell. They lost Alex Caruso in free agency. Would they replace them with? They replaced them with Trevor Ariza, who has played only two games so far due to various injuries and what have you. They replaced them with Stanley Johnson, who could potentially be someone who helps remedy these issues. So I don't know about that, but 
We'll see. I mean, you have Avery Bradley, who I think is a very respectable defender, but that's one guy so far. That's one guy so far. Then you have Dwight Howard. Uh, Listen, Dwight Howard, he's, I don't think he's as effective as, I don't, you want to know what? I don't know. I want to give Dwight Howard the benefit of the doubt. I'm a, I'm a Dwight guy, you know? I mean, he's averaging about a block a game. What, uh, where, where the fuck? He's averaging two steals and about two blocks per 36 minutes. Uh, you know, also adding four fouls. Like, he's not bad. Definitely not bad. But you can have two guys, even if we call Howard good, like, he's a great defender, right? We'll say that. Fuck it, just for the sake of argument. You have two guys so far who have met that criteria. Caruso, not Caruso, fuck. Um, what's his name? Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard. That's two. Two guys. Do you see where the systemic issues lie with the Lakers? All of the Lakers' issues this season are the result of management mishandling um, their fucking... It's just management mishandling the the team because... We can go back to last year. The Lakers were an entirely different type of team. They were, it was actually like flip-flopped. What are they, in terms of offense, oh, well, they're dog shit in terms of offense this year too. Last year, they were they were the best defense in the NBA last year. First in defensive rating, second in points per game allowed. But they were 16th in pace. Statistically, schematically, personnel-wise, last year's Los Angeles Lakers team was better on defense than this season's. And they that came up during the telecast. And, of course, Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy did not elaborate on why the Lakers were bad, right? Mark Jackson simply talked about how the Lakers need to play with more effort. Okay, I, I get it. I myself have said that defense is mostly effort. I mean, I don't want to say mostly, but effort plays a considerable role, especially at the NBA level. If you're a bigger guy, like someone who has the body, the athleticism to be a good defender, you have to want to be a good defender. But they didn't talk about anything the Lakers could do differently. I mean, granted, I could talk about it, but you don't come to me for that. Like, I'm not an NBA analyst. I don't consider myself an NBA analyst. If you're doing commentary for one of the major networks on Christmas Day, you should be able to break down to the audience what makes the Lakers' defense so bad? Like, what things they fell at specifically? Is it their pick-and-roll coverage? Is it their switching strategy? I mean, some of it, of course, is personnel. But address, like, the actual the actual cause of the issue, you know? Like, I, I just think that Russell Westbrook is being treated very unfairly for something that is out of his control. More or less. And I do feel sorry for him. I do feel sorry for him. And um, in order to do a palate cleanser, <laughs> I didn't know about this, but apparently the art community is very, very lucrative. I, <laughs> this, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to play it. We're just going to fucking play it. I made $45,000 in one week selling my jars of farts, and ever since my- We're gonna run that back. I made $45,000 in one week selling my jars of farts. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what we call the come up. In America, the entrepreneurial spirit is rampant, and we have a woman who is- taking to the free market and capitalizing on a on a commodity that people apparently want the only thing better than making a lot of money right is owning the means of your production and this woman literally owns her fucking colon and she's pulling almost 50 grand a year or a week or whatever it was selling parts Let's continue. 
And ever since my last TikTok went viral, I've been getting a lot of questions such as, how long do the farts last? Did I really fart 97 times in two days? Who buys my farts and why? So these questions, forgot what the first one was already, literally three seconds ago. But the second one, did I really fart 97 times in two days? Listen, if you have even the slightest lactose intolerance, 97 farts in two days is entirely possible depending on how often you consume dairy, right? Like if you wake up and you have some yogurt, you get, have some yogurt. For Chipotle, you get, or for lunch, you get Chipotle, you throw some cheese on that bitch. You throw in some black beans as well, just for a little extra flatulence. And then dinner comes around, right? You make pasta, pasta with butter, right? Another dairy product. And then you cap it off at night. You have a snack, maybe a little cereal and milk. And then, you know, maybe you have a little bit of ice cream just as a little a little treat before you go to bed. And you do that two days. You get back to me. And if you beef less than 150 times, I'll be impressed. So that's enti entirely doable. What I'm more curious about is this third question. Who buys my farts and why? Who buys my farts and why? I'm just going to say it. If this is your kink and I'm not going to be a kink shamer, you are down horrifically. You are down nuclear, down cataclysmic. You need to literally do anything else, like read a book, uh, learn about fucking music theory, please, literally any other kink, like feet, I'll even give you like pee fetish, literally anything else, because this is like, this is straight up unsanitary, like this is an OSHA violation, this lady is selling OSHA violations to you guys, let's continue. And what are some of my tips and tricks? So the first question I get asked a lot is how long do the farts last? And the smell is most prominent for the first two days. But as I like to say, one whip makes memories that last a lifetime. That's disgusting. Now, does that include after it's shipped? Because we are still in a pandemic and I know that shipping times and shipping timelines are kind of a little wonky, especially if you ship with like UPS, USPS, you know the regular couriers who aren't who aren't fucking evil like amazon is like does that impact the smell and how long it lasts like this is something like if she has an faq page i'm sure that there are a couple of guys who have asked this question before now why do people buy my farts in a jar i honestly think it's because i have a really good personality <laughs> That's not why. Oh, God. I got to control myself. I have a really good personality. <clears throat> Holy shit. No, dude. No. No. Obviously, I think that she's just being... <laughs> I think she's, she's just being funny. I'm not going to say that this young lady doesn't have a good personality because I don't know her like that. <laughs> but it's because she's hot. That's why. And now, don't get me wrong, there are a bunch of a bunch of women who I think are, you know, rather nice looking. Billie Eilish, uh, Abella Danger, but I'm not gonna buy their farts. <laughs> Why would I do that? Oh, why would I do that? That I mean I'm sure they have great personalities too, but does that warrant me paying like thousand dollars for a fart no it does not and also because i'm hot now okay what are some yeah of my uh, yeah that's okay she, she covered it up perfect fart selling tips and tricks number one don't eat fiber one bars you might think it's the easy way out but there is nothing easy about it on its way out you know what i mean don't push yourself too hard, literally and figuratively. Just have fun and don't let people judge you or get you down. It's a business. You're making money and it's not hurting anyone. This. Yeah, that's true. Listen, of all the things that you could do to generate income, there are a lot that are dangerous, um, unethical, certainly illegal, 
perhaps. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with this outside of just like, you know, the weirdness factor. Um, She's not abusing anybody. She's not ex- she's not um exploiting her laborers. She's not, you know, making people hang out in the warehouse during a tornado where they ultimately would pass away. I think like, you know, this is a very I don't I don't see anything I don't see anything wrong with this outside of the fact that it's a little disgusting that people are in fact buying her farts. Um is is there anything else? Holiday season, buy a jar and support local small business. Support local businesses. Link is in my yes. IG. Thank you guys so much it. for all of the And with that, I too am going to thank you guys for all love and support as we know this is the final episode of 2021 uh if you guys have listened like if you've listened to a decent amount of my content throughout the year i just want to thank you tremendously um it's you know it's it's cool i appreciate people taking times out of their busy schedule to hang out with me listen to me riff listen to me fucking make a fool of myself um i'm looking forward to continuing this in 2022 as always all of the links to everything that i'm associated with is available in the description below be sure to follow on social media subscribe to my youtube channel leave a like leave a rating leave a review if you like this episode tell a friend about it if you didn't like this episode also tell a friend about it because no press or all press is good press i fucked up my outro as always thank you guys so much and i'll catch y'all in the next one